Did you enjoy that song? I trust that you did. Um, beautiful song, beautiful words, and uh, they were not lip syncing, which is the title of my message this morning. We're going to pray. We're going to jump right into this. So let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, asking you to bless us. Lord, today we're going to be talking about the mark of the beast. Today we're going to be talking about the gospel song. And we're going to be talking about how important it is for us as a people to understand what you need us to be doing now. So fill me, Lord, as I speak. Please speak through me. And bless your people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to take you guys on a little flashback, a little journey back to 1989. It was July 21st. And this was a performance on live TV by a group named Millie. Vanilli. Now, I don't want to get you guys in trouble, but just by a show of hands or signs, how many of you remember the group? Millie Vanilli. Yes, yes, yes. They had come out with a song called uh, Girl, You Know It's True. I hope I'm not bringing any flashbacks, but it is important for me to speak about this right now. The song sold millions, millions, and they were an overnight success. And then many of you, if you were old enough, remember what happened that July 21st, 1989. They were on stage performing and right in the middle of their performance, right in the middle of their performance, an unexpected crisis occurred. This unexpected crisis unfolded like this. You see, they had been lip syncing. The song. They had not written the song. They had not performed the song. No one knew that. The song was actually written and performed by someone else, but they were basically paid um, because of their performance skills and because of their looks so that everyone thought that they were singing the song when in fact they were lip syncing. You guys are already... <laughs> probably catching where this is going. And so right there in the middle of the performance with thousands of people watching, I don't know if it was millions, but thousands of people watching, they got to the part where the chorus was, girl, you know it's true. Ooh, 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 I love you. 
And when they got to that part, girl, you know it's true, something happened with the hard drive and it began to skip. So it began to just repeat itself. Girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's. Do y'all remember this? Yes, yes, you, you remember it. And um, they could not continue to repeat, girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's. They got so embarrassed that one of them didn't know what to do. He just ran off the stage because they knew that at that moment, the gig was up. It was discovered that they were lip syncing. They were pretending to sing the song. Girl, you know it's true was not actually true. They were only pretending. Come with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Beloved, at the end of time, God has given his church a message to preach. And that message begins with these words, fear God and give glory to him. This message is the everlasting gospel that is to go to the whole world. So God has commanded us to take the everlasting gospel to the whole world. I want you to notice how Isaiah 52 verse 7 and 8 put it. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. That's the gospel. That publishes peace. That bringeth good tidings of good. That publisheth salvation. That saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Now notice verse 8. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. God commands his church to preach the everlasting gospel. Isaiah 52 verse 8 says that these preachers of the gospel are watchmen who will sing or lift up their voice. So in a sense, we might say that God calls his church to sing. God calls his church to sing or to preach the everlasting gospel. Symbolically, it is singing. God calls us to sing the gospel song. You see, beloved, a song is not just words. It is an experience. And so what God is calling for his people to do is to actually demonstrate the gospel experience. It's not just about preaching the gospel. When it's spoken of in the form of song, it's saying that God desires us to have a gospel experience. God has commanded us to sing. Notice with me Psalm 9 verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Now listen. 
do not get me wrong, because I'm not talking about singing like, Pastor, I don't have skill to sing, uh, so I can't sing. That's not what I'm talking about. This singing is a symbolic singing. It is singing the praises of God, meaning sharing the experience of praising God. It is having an experience of praising God. So that's why the Bible says, talks about God being our song. God calls us to sing. Jeremiah 51 verse 48, the Bible says, Then the heaven and earth and all that is therein shall sing for Babylon, for the spoiler shall come unto her from the north, saith the Lord. This is not singing for Babylon as in uh, glorifying Babylon, but it's singing against Babylon, if you will. God calls his church to sing the gospel song. He calls his church to preach the gospel message, which is an experience. But there is a problem. Because you see, many of us have only been lip syncing. Many of us have only been pretending to sing the song. We are mouthing the words, but they're not really our words. I want you to notice what Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says. Matthew 7 21 says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me ye that work iniquity. In other words, they were lip syncing. They were saying one thing, it wasn't really coming from the heart. They weren't really doing what they were saying. That same verse goes on to say, that same uh, our reading, Matthew 7, 24, continues, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and does them. It's not just about hearing, but it's about doing. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rains descended and the flood came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see... When coronavirus hit, it was an unexpected crisis. The church had to stop. We had to stop doing church the way we are used to doing church. And beloved, I believe in this time of the church having to stop doing church the way we have been doing it, we have discovered some things. We have to a large degree been millying, vanillying. God recognizes that we have been milling, vanillying. We've been playing church. We've been acting out church, but haven't really been doing church. We've been lip syncing. You see, 
Real church, in order to sing the song of the gospel, Micah 6, 7 tells us, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, he has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? You can't sing the gospel song when you are not doing justly and loving mercy. You just can't do it. It can't be done. So what's happening is many of us are lip syncing our way. We are repeating the words of the gospel, but they're not our own. Now, let me tell you why that is. Let's go ahead and go to the book of Revelation chapter three, because God is addressing this lip syncing issue in the Laodicean church. We are lip syncing the three angels messages. Notice Revelation chapter 317. God here is speaking to the Laodicean church. And here's what he says. Because you say, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. What is Laodicea's problem? She is rich. And she is increased with goods. So I want you to notice what the problem is. She is in a condition that is described as being rich. Now, I know what we typically do as Seventh-day Adventists, right? We read this verse and we go, yeah, this is talking about spiritual richness, right? We've got spiritual knowledge. We understand the Bible, we understand the prophecies and this is what it means that we're rich. But I'm going to suggest to you that this is not just talking about spiritual richness. It's actually talking about economic richness. And this is very important to understand because we need to see this is going to lead us somewhere very, very important. But I want you to notice this. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, but they that will be rich. Let me pause for a second. They that will be rich. It doesn't say they that are rich. It says they that will be rich. They that will. That means they that intend. They that are focused upon being rich. So it doesn't even mean that you have to be rich. There is a large part of you that is interested in being rich or in being wealthy or having money or moving up the social ladder. Being well off. Nothing wrong with being well off, by the way. But hold on. It says, they that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, I got to be honest with you. I used to struggle with this verse. The love of money is the root of all evil. Like, how is that? 
How can the love of money be the root of all evil when we think about all the evil in the world? It was difficult for me to say, well, how is the love of money the root of all this? Well, let me share something with you. Uh, I'm going to read a statement to you, and I want you to listen carefully to this, okay? So it says, I was shown that many who profess to be Sabbath keepers so love the world and the things that are in the world that they have been corrupted by its spirit and influence. Listen carefully. They have been corrupted by its spirit and influence. The divine has disappeared from their characters and the satanic has crept in, transforming them to serve the purposes of Satan to be instruments of unrighteousness. Now notice what she goes on to say. Then in contrast with these men, I was shown the industrious, honest, poor men. All right. So now she's not talking spiritual, like spiritual rich and spiritual poor. She's talking about those who have means versus those who are poor. She says, I was shown in contrast, the industrious, honest, poor men who stand ready to help those who need help, who would rather suffer themselves to be disadvantaged by their wealthy brethren than to manifest so close and acquisitive a spirit as they manifest. Men who esteem a clear conscience and right, even in the little things of greater value than riches. So I want you to check this out. She says that among Sabbath keepers, among Adventists, there is coming in this spirit of wealth. This spirit of pride. And then she contrasts it with those who are poor, who don't have this spirit. So in other words, what she's saying was that wealth or money or finances would be a very real issue in the Laodicean church. Now, again, we tend to just limit it to spiritual realities, right? Oh, we're spiritually rich, right? This doesn't have anything to do with money, with finances. You know, I'm not rich. I mean, I'm all right, but I'm not rich. But the text says, if you're striving, if you put money and success and pride of success in a place above the scriptures, you are already on a dangerous path. So, she is addressing a callous spirit because the poor and honest in this quote are helping those in need where the rich and the wealthy, the rich and the wealthy, those who are financially well off for whatever reason, are like, yeah, nah, you know, we shouldn't be helping the poor. Maybe they should be helping themselves. When you have this spirit, in essence, you can't sing the song. You're only lip syncing. Because in order to sing the song, you have to love mercy and do justice. You have to care about the needy and those who are oppressed. You have to care about the less fortunate than you are. But the love of money apparently roots out this care. Did this begin with the Laodicean church? No, I need you to follow this and follow it carefully. Because the question is, how did the Adventist church get to a place where wealth is an actual problem in the church? 
where the desire for wealth or the desire to succeed, the desire to experience the American dream of success has actually supplanted the mission of the church. Well, let's go back to Jesus' day. And I want you to notice Matthew 21, verse 12. The Bible says here, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast all of them out that sold and bought in the temple. What were they doing in the temple? They were buying and selling. Just repeat after me. What were they doing in the temple? They were buying and selling. Does that term ring a bell to you? Does that term remind you of any other place in the scriptures? Okay. So Jesus went into the temple of God and cast all them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the table of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Did we have a money issue in the church in Jesus's day? Were there people in the church who were focused more on finances, on money, than they were on the gospel? Yeah, so they crowded the house of God, were selling in the house of God because they were trying to make money. It was not about the people, it was about getting rich. Notice what Ellen White says here. The Pharisees were favored with every temporal and every spiritual advantage. So in other words, she's not just saying that they had spiritual advantage, but they were also temporally advantaged. They were rich. They had money. So the Pharisees were favored with every temporal and every spiritual advantage, and they said with boastful pride, we are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, yet they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wait a minute, that's talking about the Laodicean church, but she uses the very text to talk about what was happening in the days of Jesus. So we might say that the church in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and Sadducees were lip-syncing. They were giving God lip service. They weren't actually taking care of the people of God. They were lip syncing. All right? That's, that's the church in Jesus' day. But we know what happened is that after that, the New Testament church took place of the Old Testament church and we get now into the Dark Ages and we have another entity coming on the scene. And this one is described in Revelation chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. And the Bible says here, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman set up on a scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with what? What was she decked with? Gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So here's my question for you. This woman, we know who it is. It represented the Roman system 
during the Dark Ages. The Roman church during the Dark Ages. So my question is, was this church rich? Yes or no? Was this church rich? Where did she get these precious stones and pearls and the golden cup? And why was she arrayed in purple and scarlet? It is because she was a rich church. The question becomes, how did she become rich? Well, for one, if you wanted to be baptized in the Dark Ages, you had to pay to be baptized. If you wanted to get married, you had to pay to get married. You remember indulgences, right? They were charging people for the forgiveness of sins. They were charging people uh, to see relics that had been touched, uh, supposedly touched or in the presence of Jesus. So in essence, the church was like a business. It was all about profit. Prophet had taken the place of the gospel. And so they would use these false doctrines and teachings like if you don't pay the church, you'll go to purgatory. It was all about making money. And now we can begin to see, whoa, wait a minute. You mean the whole Dark Ages was based off of the love of money? Yes, yes, yes. The whole church during the Dark Ages, that whole thing about persecuting people, why were they persecuting people who didn't want to do indulgences? Because you weren't paying in order to be forgiven for sins. That's why they were so angry at Martin Luther, because Martin Luther was telling them, don't pay. Justification is by faith, not by money. Don't pay. Wait a minute, you're messing with our income you can begin to see how the love of money not only affected the church in Jesus' day, but it also affected the church in the Dark Ages. We're going somewhere with this, guys. Listen to what it says in Great Controversy, page 126. The Roman church had made merchandise of the grace of God. The tables of the money changers were set up beside her altars and the air resounded with the shouts of buyers and sellers. Pause for a moment, guys. Buyers and sellers. Seems like if Satan is behind this, he's trying to get people caught up in buying and selling. Nothing wrong with buying and selling, but if he can get them so caught up into buying and selling above the gospel, buying and selling at the expense of the gospel, hmm, I wonder if he's trying to set mankind up for something. Like some maybe big buying and selling event at the end of time. I don't know, just wondering. Under the plea of the raising of funds for the erection of St. Peter's Church at Rome, Indulgences for sin were publicly offered for sale by the authority of the Pope. By the price of crime, a temple was built up for God's worship. The cornerstone laid with the wages of iniquity. So I need you to understand this. The church during the Dark Ages, the Roman church had been lip syncing. I need you to, to catch that very carefully. It was not the gospel. It was not their own words. It was simply a lip sync. 
Because in order to actually sing the gospel song, you have to care about souls. You have to care about the oppressed. You have to care about those who are less fortunate. But that did not happen during the Dark Ages. So remember Milli Vanilli? How they looked, oh man, we're performing. Whoa, look at us, look at us. God, you know it's true. Ooh, 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 we love you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 it actually wasn't true. It wasn't true. The Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. So watch what happens as a result of the lip-syncing that took place during the Dark Ages. I want you to notice this because many of you know about something called the French Revolution. You know about that, yes? We talk about that very often, the French Revolution. Listen carefully. During the Dark Ages, the Roman Church prospered off of a system called feudalism. And basically, feudalism was where the poor people were taxed in order to support those at the top, meaning the church. So the burden was placed on the lower classes in order for the richer classes to be rich. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money leads to oppression. The love of money leads to keeping others down so that you can be rich. And sometimes it is done in the name of the gospel which is what we will term lip-syncing, because that is not the gospel. So as a result of this, the French Revolution was really about overthrowing, we typically think of the spiritual aspect of the French Revolution, right? They were rebelling against the Roman Catholic system, but they were against their teachings, but they were also rebelling against the financial oppression that they had experienced under the system of feudalism. I need you to listen to this. The gospel, this is from Great Controversy, page 279. The gospel would have brought to France the solution of those political and social problems that baffled the skill of her clergy, her king, and her legislators, and finally plunged the nation into anarchy and ruin. But under the domination of Rome, the people had lost the Savior's blessed lessons of self-sacrifice and unselfish love. That's the gospel. That's the gospel song. That's what we're to be singing. That's what they were to be singing. But they lost that lesson. It goes on to say they had been led away from the practice of self-denial for the good of others. Listen carefully, guys. The rich had found no rebuke for their oppression of the poor. The poor, no help for their servitude and degradation. The selfishness of the wealthy and powerful grew more and more apparent and oppressive. For centuries, the greed and profligacy of the noble resulted in grinding extortion toward the peasant. The rich wronged the poor, and the poor hated the rich. Are you guys catching this? Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, that's what's happening today. I'm not talking about today right now. I'm just talking about what happened that led to the French Revolution. 
If you're with me so far, just let me see you respond. Pastor, we're with you. We're following. Let me read to you what else Ellen White says about the French Revolution. She says this, in many provinces, the estates were held by the nobles and the laboring classes were only tenants. They were at the mercy of their landlords and were forced to submit to their exorbitant demands. The burden of supporting both the church and the state fell upon the middle and lower classes who were heavily taxed by the civil authorities and by the clergy. The pleasure of the nobles was considered the supreme law. The farmers and the peasants might starve for aught their oppressors cared. The people were compelled at every turn to consult the exclusive interest of the landlord. The lives of the agricultural laborers were lives of incessant work and unrelieved misery. Their complaints, if they dared to complain, were treated with insolent contempt. The courts of justice would always listen to a noble as against a peasant. Brides were notoriously accepted by the judges, and the merest caprice of the aristocracy had the force of law by virtue of this system of universal corruption. Of the taxes wrung from the commonality by the secular magnates on the one hand and the clergy on the other, not half ever found its way into the royal or episcopal treasury. The rest was squandered in profligate self-indulgence. And the men who thus impoverished their fellow subjects were themselves exempt from taxation and entitled by law or custom to all the appointments of the state. Listen to this next sentence. The privileged classes numbered 150,000 and for their gratification, millions were condemned to hopeless and degrading lives. Great Controversy, 279, written in the 1800s. You see, the, the church was a business. It was a corporation. We might say it that way. So the French Revolution was a revolt against something that had been building up for centuries. All right, so now we see, yep, Church in the Dark Ages was, was lip-syncing. This is what the Bible calls in Revelation 13, the beast that comes out of the sea. But you see, there's another beast that rises after this beast in Revelation 13, this woman in Revelation 13, and it's described in Revelation 13, 11. There the Bible says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, meaning it was a Christian power or Christian entity, but it speaks like a dragon. In other words, the Bible's telling you here, it's lip syncing. This beast is lip syncing. It's professing the words of Christ, but it is acting in a different way. It's not its own words. Now notice verse 12, he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. Now again, we typically like to think the spiritual power of the first beast before him, but I'm going to introduce a new thought to you here, and it is this. It exercised the economical or the financial power of the first beast before it as well. This beast is not even lip-syncing, it's just like a bad dub. 
I remember when I was young, I used to watch those kung fu movies. You know, hello. This is a bad dub, guys. It's not even like a lip sync. I want you to notice what happens. Did the church here, did the Christians here in America exercise this same principle financially? Well, yes, we know. They did. How do we know that? Because in America, there was a different economic system. And this economic system is a different name, but it was based on profits. So how can we get the greatest profit while minimizing cost? And so since in the South there was a lot of cotton and a lot of land to be worked, they had to devise a way of getting workers on that land, minimizing cost so that profit could increase. You see, it is true. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is this desire for profit that leads to bringing millions of Africans to this shore to work the land. And by the way, it was done in the name of Jesus. It was done in the name of the Bible. It was done with the sanction of the Bible. Yes, beloved, it was a lip sync. It was a bad dub because how can you profess Christian values while at the same time enslaving people for the sake of profit? It wasn't, we're enslaving you because we don't like your color. I mean, that eventually works its way into the picture. Okay, well, yes, yes, racism works its way into the picture, but... The original idea was profit. Financial oppression, profit. So who can we get? And then they decided, hey, we're going to focus right here and we're going to bring these people and we're going to use them in order to gain profit. Now, I need you to catch this, guys, because what does the Bible say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Listen to this. How did we get to this place? Let me share with you. I need to read a statement to you really quickly here. No, 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 no. We're going to do this first. No, 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 no. Let's read the statement first. <laughs> In the book Education, page 228, it says this. The centralizing of wealth and power. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment. The centralizing of wealth and power. The vast combinations for the enriching of the few at the expense of the many. Does that sound familiar? The combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims. Why? Because of the combining of the few at the expense of the many. 
So let me read it again. The centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enriching of the few at the expense of many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of un unrest, of riot and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution. All are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. In other words, exactly what happened in the Dark Ages that led to the French Revolution, you know, the oppression of the poor, the poor getting tired of it, and rising up in rebellion, rising up in resistance, Do you see that happening in our nation today? All right, so here's what we've just done. We've just tracked this love of money being the root of all evil through the church in Christ's day. We tracked it through the Dark Ages, same thing, and we tracked it to the second beast of Bible prophecy, the United States of America, same thing. Churches founded on, hey, we're, sing we're singing the gospel. We are singing the gospel. God, you know it's true. Ooh, 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 we love you and our slaves. We now see that it's all been lip-syncing. Why? Because of the love of money. But remember, the question is, how does God's remnant church end up with this rebuke of your rich and increased with goods? You now have a mindset that was the same mindset of of the Pharisees, you have a mindset that is very similar to that in the Dark Ages. You have a mindset that is similar to the, to the beast of Bible prophecy that is existing right now, that, it, that we are in right now. How did we get that mind? How did some in God's remnant church get that mindset? So let's break this down a little bit. We're going to go to, to Revelation chapter 12, verse 14. How did this happen? So the Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 14, it says, So the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time from the face of the serpent. If you understand Bible prophecy, you know this woman is symbolic of the true church during the Dark Ages. Not the counterfeit, not the mystery uh, woman, but the pure woman. This woman goes into the wilderness. She is hiding for 1260 years. The Bible says the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So the dragon is trying to destroy this woman, but God does something. The Bible says in verse 16, and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So what is the earth here? Remember, in Revelation chapter 13, there is a second beast that is rising up out of the earth. Listen, guys. The earth here is symbolic of the United States of America. So watch this. What is the Bible telling us? That God opened up the United States of America for the persecuted church in the dark ages to get new footing, to get, a, to get respite from the persecution. In other words, they came to this nation to escape persecution. But God also sent them here with a mission. That mission would ultimately be to spread the gospel. What ended up happening? They killed the Indians. 
wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you guys doing? <laughs> I sent you here to be a light, to be a place where you would set up Christianity and show the world what Christianity looks like. But for much of our history, it's been lip syncing. Because the love of money took the place of what we were supposed to be doing. All right, now watch this. So, so the, we now know the beast has become money-focused, the love of money. Profit, 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 profit. So what happens is the remnant church gets to this place. The remnant church, and God raised up the remnant church at the end of time to be a light in this world. But what has been happening is that the spirit of this beast, which is the spirit of, listen carefully, greatness. Hmm. Wealth. Individualism. Every man for himself. Greed. Self-exaltation. Success at the expense of the oppressed. What began to happen is that instead of us influencing the beast, the beast has influenced many of us to where we now have the same spirit of the beast. And thus we can't sing the gospel because we've got the same spirit as the beast. We are more patriotic to the beast than we are to the heavenly kingdom of which we are citizens. The three angels' messages, we're lip-syncing. Many of us are lip-syncing. We're just like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fear God and give glory to Him. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know it's true. But because we have been infected with the spirit of the beast, we are just lip syncing. Come, I need you to notice this. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's not in your heart, it's not your words. You might be a good lip syncer, an excellent lip syncer. But when the music stops, when the crisis hits, it will be revealed that you were only lip syncing. The Bible tells us where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if our treasure is more in line with profit and with success and with the American dream. Beloved, don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking ill against the American dream. Yes, there is nothing wrong with living a good life and being able to have access to stuff. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when that begins to blind you, to your responsibility to the oppressed, you have a problem. And praise God, there are rich people in this church and in this country who have not been blinded by their riches. Amen.
So while Jesus says, yes, it is hard for a rich man to get into heaven, he didn't say it's impossible. Yeah, I know some rich people that have their priorities straight. Mm -hmm. In the church, yes. But beloved, when you allow your status and your success to get in the place of your responsibility to others, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said it this way, this people lip sync to me with their mouths, honor me with their lips, lip syncing with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Why? What's the treasure? It's greatness. It's pride. It's wealth. It's superiority. It's self-exaltation. That spirit of the beast has infected people in the church and you can begin to see it in that we don't really care about the oppressed. So James 5 reads this. James 5 tells us about end time events and it says this, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, who have worked for you, which is of you kept back by fraud. You weren't paying them what you should have been paying them. Which is of you kept back by fraud crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Notice this. He's saying the cries of the poor, the cries of the oppressed, the cries of the very people that we are ignoring, I'm hearing those cries. Now, I know you like to say, oh, they're crying because they're crying over spilled milk. They should not be crying. They should be out there doing blah, blah, blah. But guess what? God hears their cries. And he says, I've heard them. He says, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just. You're condemning the poor. You're con yeah, yeah, the reason they are there is because you have condemned and killed the just and he does not resist you. Beloved, the love of money is actually the root of all evil. When the mark of the beast issue hits, when the crisis hits, the crisis we're all looking forward that we know is coming, that's when the record scratches and then we will know who was really singing the song versus who was lip syncing. Watch this. What is the mark of the beast about? Buying and selling. <laughs> Buying and selling. In fact, listen, those who sing the song will not receive the mark of the beast. Did you hear what I said? Those who learn to sing the song will not receive the mark of the beast. Revelation 15, 2, I want you to notice it. 
And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the hearts of God. <laughs> and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Just stop right there. <laughs> Why is the Bible equating the song of the Lamb with those who got the victory over the beast? <laughs> Why? Why? Because those who know the song are not lip syncing. They are not lip syncing. They're those who pretend to sing the song. Yes, love God, love your neighbor. Of course. Yes, that's the gospel. But they're only lip syncing. When the mark of the beast hits, it will be revealed who serves God and who doesn't. It will be revealed who was lip syncing and who was really singing from the heart. Watch. Watch. Revelation 13, 6, talking about the mark of the beast. The Bible says, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. Watch this, guys. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You see, beloved, the mark of the beast has very much to do with financial incentive. I need you to understand that. If you are so used to buying and selling, if you are so used to being at a financial place or financial position or desiring money or worshiping money or idolizing money and greatness and, and wealth, this thing is going to be a challenge for you. No man could buy or sell except he that had the mark. So watch this. What is the mark of the beast? Now, we're not even going to address exactly what the mark of the beast is. That's not even our concern. Our real concern is who gets the mark. That's the real concern. You know, we know what the mark is, and we know there are a lot of people out there who are saying, oh, no, the mark is this, or the mark is that. Listen, guys, in reality, those who are right with God are not going to get the mark, even if they don't know what the mark is right now. Those who are not right with God are going to get the mark, even if they know what the mark of the beast is. Do I need to repeat that? There are people in the Adventist church who will receive the mark of the beast, even though they know what it is. Why? Because their hearts aren't right. Doesn't matter that you know what it is. Your heart isn't right. And there are people in other churches right now who don't know what the mark of the beast is and will not receive it because their hearts are right and they will come into a knowledge of the truth because their hearts are right with God. So what is the mark? The word mark, it means a stamp. A stamp as in a badge of servitude. So those who receive the mark 
are those who are serving the beast. The mark of the beast is the service of the beast. All right, so watch this. Romans 6.16 6, says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So, John 12.26 tells us this. If any man serve me, this is Jesus speaking. If any man serve me, let him follow me. So to serve someone is to follow them to replicate them, to act like them, to do what they want you to do, to act as they act. So Jesus said, if you serve me, you're representing my character. Then to serve, then to have the mark of the beast is to serve the beast, which means to have the character or the mentality of the beast. Are you following this? I want you to notice what Luke 16, 13 says. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's very interesting. You cannot serve God and money. That's what that means, mammon, money. You cannot serve God and money. Interesting. The love of money is the root of all evil. And at the very end of time, the test, the final test that will be brought upon the world will revolve the issue of money. Wow. You see, beloved, I know we're not used to looking at it like this, but I need you to understand the mark of the beast is twofold. The mark of the beast is twofold. Listen, if you are following the beast now, if you are imitating the beast now, if you have the attitude of the beast now, the demeanor of the beast now, in other words, it's about power, it's about wealth, it's about greatness, it's about oppression being okay for profit. If you have that spirit now, you are being set up to receive the mark of the beast. Those who practice the demeanor of the beast now will receive the mark of the beast then. Bottom line. Forget about what, what is the mark. At this point, that's not even the point. <laughs> the point is very simple. Satan is preparing a people to receive the mark in this way is how he's doing it. He's preparing you by making you like the beast. Not just like the beast, but like the beast. So what is the nature of this beast? Listen, we just said the mark of the beast is twofold. Pastor, what do you mean? Remember, this beast in Revelation 13 has two horns. One is religious and one is civil. So the beast, the mark of the beast, it can be described in... Both of those terms, religious and civil. In one way, you're not going to be able to buy or sell religiously. In another way, you're not going to be able to buy or sell civilly or societally, if you will, economically. So let's break this down. I want you to notice this. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. The Bible says this, Ho everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, 
and he that has no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? In other words, the gospel is something that is bought and sold. Symbolically speaking, every time a transaction happens, when I receive the gospel, someone sold it to me and I bought it. I believed it. But a time is coming that you will not be able to buy or sell. In other words, Satan will say, don't preach that. And he will say, don't listen to that. That's the stopping of buying and selling the religious aspect. You will not be able to sell the three angels' messages. You will not be able to buy the three angels' messages. Understand what I mean by that. We're not talking about selling books. I'm talking about sharing the message. Satan will put a stop to that, and those who do will die. Death sentence. Not only that, but there is the taking away of the civil liberties, meaning you will not be able to buy or sell societally. You won't be able to exchange money. Ecclesiastes 9.10. The Bible says here, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So I want you to get the point here. The Bible tells us that the hand is symbolic of work. Listen carefully. With the mind, we believe. With the hand, we work. So watch this. Those who receive the mark of the beast in the mind failed religiously. Those who receive that mark of the beast in the hand failed societally. The love of money. I'm going to come back to that. Because I need you to catch this here. The question is this. How does this happen? How will it be that Satan will set up a system where you cannot buy or sell religiously and you cannot buy or sell financially unless you receive the mark of the beast. One has to do with your work. The other one has to do with, with your beliefs. How does that happen? Come with me to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel 11, you're about to get a crash course in Daniel chapter 11, and then we're going to come back to the book of Revelation. So I want you to listen very carefully. The Bible says in Daniel 11, verse 40, At the time of the end shall the king of the south contend with him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now, I'm going to make this very simple. The king of the north at the end of time is an anti-God power. If you read Daniel 11.40 onward, you will see that the king of the north is the final power that causes Michael in Daniel 12.1 to stand up. Michael stands up and puts an end to the king of the north's activities. The question is, who is this king of the north? And let me give you the answer. It is found right here in Isaiah 66 verse 15. Notice what it says. For behold, Jehovah will come with fire, with his chariots, 
he shall be like a whirlwind to render his anger with fierceness and his rebuke with flames of fire. Now listen carefully. If we know, if we know that in Daniel 11 verse 40, this is a counterfeit power and he comes with chariots like a whirlwind with fire and we see in Isaiah 66 verse 15 that this is how God himself comes, then we know something very simple. Daniel 11 verse 40, the king of the north is none other than Satan himself. Are you catching this? It is Satan himself who comes as the king of the north at the end of time. It is his counterfeit appearing of Jesus Christ. By the way, in Daniel 12.1, Michael stands up. Every time you see the word Michael, it is because he is going toe-to-toe with Satan himself. This lets you know that Daniel 11 verse 40 is talking about Satan himself in connection with the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. In connection. It's a threefold power, but Satan at the head of it. Now, with that in mind, please notice what happens after Satan's counterfeit appearing. Daniel 11 verse 41 says this, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. Why? Because it's Satan acting as Jesus. The whole world is going to be like, yeah, this is Jesus. Right? For the atheist, seeing is believing. Watch this. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, even Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. Verse 42, he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Notice verse 43. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. Why is he having power over gold and silver? Here's why. Because he knows that the root of all evil is the love of money. So he's coming with an incentive. A financial incentive. Yeah, check this out, guys. Listen to what Ellen White says here regarding this very thing. She says, as the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. So she says Satan's going to come pretending to be Christ, and then she says this. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out in the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon earth. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals the diseases of the people, and then in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. 
He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. Notice that his angels sent to them with light and truth. This is a strong, almost overmastering delusion. When Satan appears, he's not appearing by himself. He's coming with angels. Are you catching this? Let's keep reading. Papists who boast of miracles as a certain sign of the true church will be readily deceived by this wonder-working power, and Protestants, having cast away their shield of truth, will also be deluded. Listen carefully. Papists, Protestants, and worldlings alike will accept the form of godliness without power. They will accept the lip sync. It is the ultimate lip sync. And those of us who don't know how to identify lip syncs will fall for the lip sync. Listen to what she goes on to say. And they will see in this union a grand movement for the conversion of the world and the ushering in of the long-expected millennium. And that's what I want to focus on for the rest of my time, the millennium. What is the millennium about? Notice how it's put. The wicked... Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 427. The wicked declared that they had the truth, that miracles were among them, that angels from heaven talked at, with them and walked with them, that great power and signs and wonders were performed among them, and that this was the temporal millennium that they had been expecting for so long. The whole world was converted and in harmony with the Sunday law. You guys watch this. These are the events that cause a Sunday law to take place. It is Satan appearing as Jesus Christ. It is Satan appearing with angels to make it look like the second coming, to make it look like the millennium has begun. And watch what she calls it, the temporal millennium. Now, what does temporal mean? I just want you to think about that. This millennium, the Christian world looks at this millennium as a time of great prosperity. Here are some of the verses that they use to describe this millennium. Listen, let me read this first from Maranatha, page 11. Professed Christians of our time are expecting the temporal prosperity of the church in the conversion of the world and the enjoyment of the temporal millennium. How do Christians see this? Notice these verses. Isaiah 60, verse 11 and 12. Thy gates shall also be open continually, and they shall not be shut day nor night that men may bring unto thee the wealth of the nations and their kings led captive. Isaiah 60, 12, For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish, yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. So what's happening here is that they believe that in the temporal millennium, it's going to be a time of prosperity, riches, wealth. Isaiah 61, 6, But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast yourselves. It's going to be a time of prosperity, of money, of riches. 
Remember when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness and the Bible says, again the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. This is the millennium. That's what Satan's going to tell the world at the end of time. And he saith unto Jesus, all these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. I'll give you riches. I'll give you honor. I'll give you greatness. I'll give you glory. Beloved, if our minds are now being trained, greatness, prosperity, self-exaltation, profit at the expense of the oppressed, when Satan offers you this prosperity, your love for money will be so amplified in that time of great deception that your house will be like sinking sand. Because you have built your house upon sinking sand. You had spent your life lip-syncing, not caring for the poor, not caring for the oppressed. And when Satan himself appears, the overwhelming delusion, that's what she calls it, the overmastering delusion will be too much for you to bear. And here's a scary thing. Many of us are sitting here right now saying, no, 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 I'll be able to stand it. You don't need... When John the Revelator in vision saw an angel, he was tempted to bow at the feet of this angel and worship. And that's John who walked with Jesus. What are you going to do when Satan himself appears as Jesus? If your heart is not right, if you have not been singing the song, what are you going to do? Now, beloved, you need to catch this because you see, God is waiting for us to sing. He's saying to Laodicea, listen, you have become corrupted in a sense. You have become infected with this beast. Because this beast thinks it's great and rich and increased with goods and need of nothing. And now you're mimicking the same spirit. I need you to sing. You can't sing the Lord's song if you're in a strange land. You can't sing the Lord's song if you're in a strange land. So personally, I'm not talking about the church now. I'm talking about personally. If you are in Babylon, affected by Babylon, you need to get out of Babylon because you cannot sing the Lord's song in a strange land. God needs his church to sing. Why? Because when his church sings as a church, as a unit, something amazing is going to happen. You remember the story of Jehoshaphat? Yeah. You remember that story, right? Come on. You remember that the armies had surrounded Israel? And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness from Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he was had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. Come on, guys. He appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went up before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And the Bible says, and when they began to sing, not lip sync, they weren't lip syncing. 
No, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set ambushes against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Beloved, when we begin to sing, when as a church we learn the song, when we sing that song, when we shout that song, the walls of Jericho, the walls of Babylon are going to come falling down. Psalm 101 verse 1, David says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, I will sing. Beloved, we need to sing the song. Jeremiah 20, 13, sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Why? For he has delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Beloved, the song is about delivering the poor from evildoers. That's the song. Because Christ came into this world to deliver the oppressed from iniquity, to deliver the oppressed from captivity. That's the song of the Lamb. You'll remember that when Moses and the children of Israel sang that song, it's because they had just been delivered out of oppression. Beloved, if we're not willing to help the oppressed, we can't sing the song. Notice Isaiah 42, verse 6, 7. The Bible says, I, Jehovah, have called thee in righteousness. I will take hold of thy hand. I will guard thee and give thee for a covenant to the people, for a light to the nations, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the bound one from the prison, him that sitteth in darkness out of the house of, of confinement. Sing ye to Jehovah a new song. The new song is sung because we have an experience either in delivering or being delivered. And if we're unwilling to sing that song, if we're unwilling to get down into the gutter with the oppressed, if we're unwilling to help the needy, we are simply lip syncing. David spake unto the Lord the word of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies. Beloved, the song is a song of deliverance. Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3. Jehovah has made me come up out of the pit of vastation, out of the mire of clay, and he has set my feet upon a rock and put a new song into my mouth. Beloved, our gospel mission is to put a new song into the mouth of someone else. And the only way we can do that is by singing the gospel. But the gospel is sung not by lip syncing, but by actually helping. And many of us cannot sing that song because the spirit of the beast has entered us. We are callous. We are cold. We are lukewarm. Isaiah 58, verse 6. We're, we are getting ready to close this out, guys. So just bear with me a few minutes longer. Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? We might just say, is not this the song that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that the, thou bring the poor into thy house when you see they are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him not, and you hide not yourself from your own flesh? This is the song. This is the song. Now listen to me. Y'all know what the seal of God is, right? This is Sabbath keeping. Now watch this, guys. Sabbath keeping 
provides a twofold protection from the mark of the beast. Why? Because true Sabbath keeping is caring for the oppressed. But true Sabbath keeping also says, don't be covetous. Take a day off. Don't be so consumed or so into money and greatness that you are not taking that day of rest. You are, you are to realize that everything is not about money. So when you're truly keeping the Sabbath, y'all not feeling me. <laughs> when you are truly keeping the Sabbath, it is a full Proof it is vaccination against the type of spirit that leads to the mark of the beast. Now, money is not more important than people. Now, I'm not going to get into this philosophy of greatness. Great. No, 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 no. People matter. Money is important, but people matter. Let me close with this statement. Ellen White is speaking about the song of the Lamb, and she says these words. This song and the great deliverance which it commemorates made an impression never to be effaced from the memory of the Hebrew people. From age to age, it was echoed by the prophets and singers of Israel, testifying that Jehovah is the strength and deliverance of those who trust in him. That song does not belong to the Jewish people alone. It points forward to the destruction of all the foes of righteousness and the final victory of the Israel of God. Did you hear that? The song was not for the Jewish people alone. It is a song for the entire Israel of God. The prophet of Patmos beholds the white-robed multitude. Now, when she says that word, white-robed multitude, that's from Revelation chapter 7. That's talking about the great multitude. Some of us think... You know, I'll get into this another time. Some of us think, oh, you know, this is only a small group of people who sing this song. No, beloved, it is a song of the great white robe. The prophet of Patmos beholds the white robe multitude that have gotten the victory standing on the sea of glass. She mingles the two because they're one. Standing on the sea of glass with fire, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. And then she ends with these words. Such was the spirit that pervaded Israel's song of deliverance. And it is the spirit that should dwell in the hearts of all who love and fear God. In freeing out souls from the bondage of sin, God has wrought for us a deliverance greater than that of the Hebrews at the Red Sea. Whoso offereth praise, says the Creator, glorifies me. Psalm 50 verse 23. All the inhabitants of, the, of heaven unite in praising God. Let us learn the song of the angels now that we may sing it when we join their shining ranks. Beloved, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Let us learn the song now. Let us learn to sing it now. Let us not lip sync. Let us stop lip syncing. 
We've been playing church for a long time now. And this coronavirus shutting down our churches has kind of revealed how much we have been playing church, how much we have been lip syncing. It's time to start singing. It's time for us to sing the song of deliverance. It's time for us to sing the three angels' messages, to shout aloud, thy watchmen shall see eye to eye, they shall lift up their voice, and they shall sing. And beloved, that song is going to bring Babylon down, and that's what I want more than anything. Because when Babylon falls, Jesus comes. Are you ready to sing? Are you ready to sing? Are you ready to sing? Heavenly Father, forgive us for being infected with the spirit of the beast. Teach us, Lord, the spirit of compassion again. Teach us the spirit of love. Teach us how to fulfill the mission you've called us to. Forgive us, Lord, for our lip syncing. Forgive us for our lip service. And Lord, may we begin to act upon what you have called us to do. Keep us, Lord. Show us what it means to truly keep the Sabbath and protect us when that great overmastering delusion shall come, may we not have trained ourselves to receive that mark. May we not allow Satan to train us to receive that mark. May we put the nation of heaven above and before every other nation on earth. Forgive us for our lukewarmness and set us on the right path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com Thank you and God bless.